Evangelical American Church is in crisis, and there's only one way out. Let's talk about it with Russell Moore on Steve Brown, etc. He's an old white guy, an author, broadcaster, and seminary professor who's sick of religion. And he's brought friends. Please welcome Steve Brown, etc. Hey, we're so glad you're here, man. I can't believe you'd take an hour out of your busy life and spend it with us. We will do our best to make sure that it is not a wasted hour. In case you were wondering, I'm Steve, the aforementioned old white guy. Matthew Porter, our executive producer, is here. Matthew says he's switching political parties. He's now a Groucho Marxist. <laughs> and our dislike cigars. <laughs> our producer, Jinx, is in the little glass booth. Jinx leans to the right, but that's mostly a bad leg. <laughs> I don't write these, I just read them, okay? Our, our one man IT department, John Myers, is in the tech bunker. John wonders why there are 50 options for Miss America and only two for president. <laughs> and Dr. George Bingham is the president of Key Life. George wants change now, but not just change, cash, checks, and stocks, right? <laughs> Paper and, money. Candy <laughs> White is the soft feminine side of the program. I think Kathy wishes we could make these intros great again. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> that was a good one. You know, one. really, Matthew, that was, yeah, that was probably one of your better ones. <laughs> you can stick to landing. <laughs> we have an interesting guest um, for this program. Uh, He's one of the few people who has more enemies than I do. <laughs> He's just not as mean as I am. Uh, he, uh, his name is Dr. Russell Moore. Well, his name is not doctor. His name is Russell. And Russell is an evangelical Christian theologian and a minister. He's also editor-in-chief of Christianity Today. Um, I was on that board for a hundred years and the executive committee and, uh, left making an obscene gesture. And, uh, <laughs> he previously no, I... served as president of the Southern Baptist Convention's Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission and his latest book, which I hold in my nicotine stained fingers is titled Losing Our Religion an altar call for evangelical America. Russell, before we start, what in the world is an altar call? <laughs> <laughs> well, an altar call, for those of us who grew up in a church like I did, is the time after the service where anybody who needs to come to the front and get prayer or profess faith or uh, get something right can do that. So and they're we called always to the altar. What? A call to the altar, that's right. It's verses 14 through 21. Yes. That's, that's exactly right. I am, right? There you go. You know, it's hard um, 
uh, to talk about the crisis of American evangelicalism without first talking a little bit about your story. So why don't you fill us in with some of that? There are, I one time was teaching a seminary class on how to handle criticism, and one of the students on the front row uh, went on the Internet while I was lecturing, which irritates me, and uh, raised his hand, and he said, Dr. Brown, they don't like you. (laughs) (laughs) They don't like you at all. (laughs) Russell, some people don't like, tell us a little, fill us in, and then we'll get to some of these questions. Uh, About why people don't like me? (laughs) (laughs) Well, if you want, but first maybe a little bit of your story. Well, I'm a, a, I grew up in Biloxi, Mississippi, in a Southern Baptist church in a family. It was half Baptist, half Catholic. And uh, <laughs> that was into, confusing. Yes. You had interesting Thanksgiving, didn't you? <laughs> a yeah. lot of kids and a lot of fried chicken. <laughs> That's right. Uh, went into ministry, served as uh, pastor, served as seminary professor, served as provost and dean, and then uh, served as sort of the uh, moral issues, ethicist, public policy guy for the Southern Baptist Convention for eight years. Hmm. And got into some trouble, didn't you? Well, I mean, yes. what you brought up on tr- <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so well, I want to look. <laughs> this program was designed to uncover the dirt. <laughs> so tell us some of it. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, we had like a lot of institutions. The healthiest people tended to be the least engaged, and the unhealthiest people sometimes tended to be the most engaged. Uh, and so we had a uh, a denomination that had become really uh, accustomed to fighting and trying to uh, identify who the next liberal is, <laughs> and it it just became a, a downward spiral. And uh, for me, that had to do not so much with the national denomination. Most people were great. It was a, a small group of people, but. You know, as I've seen in churches since then, small groups of people can really change the atmosphere of, of any institution. Boy, do I agree. You know, we we had Vody Bakum on recently, and uh, I had uh, brought up Eric Metaxas' book on a letter to the American church, with which you will certainly disagree. But And uh, I said, Talk, respond to that. And uh, Vody said, um, he said, I I know what he's saying, and I understand that. And then he said, uh, I've been traveling. He, as you know, I guess, is a teacher in Africa at Christian University there. And he said, I've been traveling America. And he said, there are, in fact, thousands of, of Christians and leaders who are faithful, who are loving, who are kind, who are living out the Christian faith. And um, and uh, you found that too. I mean, some of oh, the, yes. yeah, it's the 1090 principle. 90% of the people who keep quiet, smile, and make your cookies. 
and the other 10 percenters mean as snakes. <laughs> and you, the, the idea is to keep the two groups apart from one another in order to survive. We, um, does the church have a lot of problems or a lot of symptoms? Uh, I think, I think both. I, I think there are several different uh, problems that are coming together at once, but a whole lot of symptoms. I mean, it's one of the things I say to pastors all the time who say, you know, I look at my people's social media feed and I wonder what have I been doing? And how do I correct this? And usually they want to know, they want me to say, well, here's how you can correct this by next Sunday, or here's how you can correct this. And I'll usually say, what you're seeing right now is like light from distant stars. This is stuff that was cultivated a long time ago and is coming to fruition now. So I can teach you how to, how to start thinking about 2033, but you're not going to be able to turn this around as quickly as you think. Oh, man. My pastor said during the last election, he said, I don't care who you vote for, but he said, you need to know that however strong your political opinions are, 170 million people disagree with you. And <laughs> yeah. if we don't figure out a way to work this out, we're going to kill this church. And our church has now added the third service. They're all packed. We don't have... We don't have parking facilities for everybody, and we're growing. And so when I pick up a book like your book, uh, An Altar Call for Evangelical America, while I travel some, I, um, you know, my personal experience, my existential experience from where I worship and where I serve is, is different than... Uh, what I think has become the way we should define evangelicalism. I mean, we really are in trouble, aren't we? We are in trouble, but I'm hopeful. I, I really think that there is a, a way beyond all of this, and I think the church has been through worse uh, and has survived and flourished, and we can do that. Uh, we can do that with this, too. It's just, you know, a crisis is a turning point. It, it's a moment where you decide are you going to go one way or, or are you going to go another and I think a lot's going to be dependent on what we do over the next few years. Now, has your book been out very long? Uh, it's been out about a month, yeah. You, what kind of, uh, are you getting a lot of rocks or a lot of uh, ice cream cones? <laughs> no, I'm, I'm getting a lot of people who say, I thought I was crazy. And uh, I, I, didn't, uh, I didn't know how to articulate what was going on. But it's good to know there are other people who are seeing the same thing out there. Yeah. Well, you don't want to go anywhere. If you're listening on the radio, don't touch the dial or you'll get the fever and die. And uh, if you're watching on, uh, on your screen, don't turn it off because we've got some answers for you. I assume we do. I mean, Russell wouldn't be on this program if he didn't have something to say about Jesus. But we'll do some specifics when we come back. The name of the book, Losing Our Religion, an Altar Call for Evangelical America. Uh, but this is hard work, and uh, we need to rest up. And so we're going to have some cookies and milk, get a nap, and then, like Jesus, we'll return.
Hey, thanks for listening to Steve Brown, etc. And if you're enjoying the show, chances are your friends and family would too, right? So help us spread the word by sharing a link, clicking subscribe on YouTube. And if you think about it, drop us a review on your favorite podcast platform, iTunes, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Spotify. We're pretty much everywhere. Hey, is there one called Podblaster? I mean, it feels like there should be, right? But like no E in Blaster. Just Blaster. 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 Anyhow, that's how the colons do it. Hi, this is Steve Brown. And in case you didn't know, one of the main reasons Key Life exists is to remind believers that God isn't mad at his children. Why am I telling you this? Because our weekly email, Key Life Connection, takes the best of the videos, articles, and puts them right in your inbox. We'd love for you to try it. It's free. Go to keylife.org slash subscribe. So glad you're here. Uh, we're talking to Russell Moore, and his latest book is called "Losing Our Religion: An Altar Call for Evangelical America." You got to get this book. Uh, some of you will rise up and call Russell blessed. Others will pray that he gets the hives. But <laughs> it's a book you probably ought to read, Russell. Really thought provoking. I mean, just right out of the gate, you get right into it. There's no, there's no fluff there. And and if I was on the fence, you know, you started to win me over with the REM reference, hipsters <laughs> of a certain age. Like, okay, all right, okay, I know who, I know who you're talking about. I like this. But if you would, as we're early on in this in this conversation, kind of, can you set the table for us as to um, what this crisis is that evangelical America is is facing down and, and why? Uh, the stakes are so high with this. Well, one thing is, I remember when I first started in ministry, I, you'd always have people who would come and say, I think I'm losing my faith. Uh, I, I think I might be on the verge of losing the church. But it was almost always because they couldn't believe in the supernatural uh, anymore for some reason, or they thought that the moral rules of the church were too strict. I almost never hear that now. Instead, it's people who are saying, I, I think that in the church, Jesus is just a means to an end and that it's really about something else. And I, I talk to people about that every day. And I went through it myself as a 15 year old trying to work through this stuff and to say, is this really just kind of Southern culture and politics with Jesus as a hood ornament on the on the top of it or not? And so that's the that's a lot of what the crisis is right now. Is is it just really about something else? You know, your background and your heritage is uh, Southern Baptist. Mm-hmm. Mine, uh, I'm a Presbyterian, but I my graduate school was Boston University School of Theology. So, um, so uh, the hood ornament there was different than the hood ornament, mm-hmm. uh, but it was still a hood ornament. Yeah. Maybe that's the reason liberalism is in such disarray and dying all over the country. Because oh, of absolutely. The, maybe we can learn something, not from the specifics, but from the, um, the hood ornament that's yeah. being put out there. Well, yeah, I mean, if you look at once people realize, okay, well, what is this really about? Uh, you know, if you're 
preaching the the Easter service and resurrection is about recycling, then somebody can eventually say, well, just uh, I can recycle and not give up a Sunday morning. Mm. If that's what this is about, well, then I can just do that without uh, being part of the church. And I think that transcends all of these usual categories that we have. Yeah, I agree. Well, and Russell, maybe to, um, I, I think to sort of follow along that same path. I mean, we're so prone as humans, believers, to idolatry and, you know, sin in general. And Well, I'm uh, ordained. Well, <laughs> yeah, except for you. And, and oh, ordained. that's a perfect lead into and self-righteousness. Uh. <laughs> uh, and, and you even talk about some of the, some, I guess I would say, historical high points. I mean, all the way back to Hezekiah and you know, and then all the way up to Reformation and so forth. The church just, uh, and church with a small c, tends to get itself in trouble when it's doing well, doesn't it? Absolutely. And it, it starts to become comfortable and to, and to get addicted to the power. I remember being at, I took a group to Caesarea Philippi one time. And while we were there, there were some strangely dressed uh, people who were there. And I said, well, what's that? And they said, well, those are kind of a, it's a neo-pagan sort of group from Europe and they're pan worshipers hmm. because Caesarea Philippi was this uh, locus of, of pagan worship to pan and also was named after the emperor. And so when Jesus stands there and says, I'll build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I mean, that is really startling uh, when you think about the way that he said that would happen. And 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 sure enough, I mean, the, the gospel thrives where it's usually seen as the most marginalized and powerless. Mm -hmm. So maybe it's a good thing when that's taken away from us. Uh, I think my my mentor, uh, Fred Smith, used to say that it bothered him every time the path between the church and Washington got well-worn. And it may be true. No, it used to be we had money. Uh, we had leverage. Uh, we had power. And uh, the crisis of evangelical Christianity isn't that we lose all of that. That may be a gift. The crisis may be uh, that we don't handle the loss in a way that we, you know, when you have nothing but Jesus, that's not a bad place to be. And a lot of people who have left the church, Russell, between you and me, I got a bottle of champagne and celebrated. We were getting down to the muscle and, uh, I was kind of glad for that. Russell, I was reading, um, in, um, uh, chapter four this morning on the chapter on integrity and there's so much obviously there's so much in the book and, and in order to for those who are listening and and maybe don't un understand the differences and quite frankly I'm not sure I do either there's a you make a statement in there um, I'm just going to read it really quickly and while we conservative evangelicals often and often rightly criticize the mainline for accommodating to quote the culture end quote is it any less being conformed to the world when one accommodates to a subculture? Could you mm -hmm. talk a little bit about what are those differences when you refer to, when you use that word culture and then you use the word subculture? What, what, what are we, and we might even have, because there's only a minute left, we might even have to, you know, 
go over into the next segment, but could, could you kind of expand on that a little bit? Russell, you should well, know that I'm um, a right-wing <laughs> conservative, <laughs> and you should know that I thought that Rush Limbaugh was a communist. <laughs> Just before you make your comments, I wanted to make sure that you understood the context of where this is. But I'm I w- sorry. But I want to know what you really think, <laughs> Russell. <laughs> I'll deal with that later. <laughs> but but good friends with Tony Campolo. Uh, at the yeah, same time. he's my best friend, so we're okay. He's only got 28 seconds now. We're definitely going to the commercial <laughs> <Yeah>. break. <laughs> yeah, not sure I can sum it up in 20 seconds. I don't well, think you can. Russell, you can fall back on Jesus. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> you know, that works. At the other side of the break, we're going to talk about uh, subcultures and cultures. Yes, et we really are. And, and if you just tuned in, uh, we're talking to Russell Moore. And the book is Losing Our Religion, An Altar Call for Evangelical America. Um, And I was only being a little bit facetious (laughs) when I said that some of you are going to be angry and some of you are going to rise up and call uh, Dr. Moore blessed. But those are the kind of books we need to read and we need to talk about. As you know, we have a variety of guests on this particular program with a variety of views, and we diligently work to correct them. (laughs) And and so far, with very little success. But stay around. Who knows? Hey, thanks for listening to Steve Brown, etc. And if you're enjoying the show, would you help us let others know about it? You can share a link, click subscribe on our YouTube channel, or drop us a review on your favorite podcast platform. Thanks much. Hi, this is Steve Brown, and I'm excited to tell you about a new offer from Key Life called Living with Steve. Let me tell you the way it works. I travel with you wherever you go. If you need an entertaining conversation or even a sermon, there I am. That's the good news. The bad news is that it costs a million bucks. (laughs) But wait, there's good news. You can get everything I've just described with the Key Life app. And for a limited time, it's not a million dollars. It's free. Try it now at keylife.org slash app. so glad you're here. You always have a seat at our table. We're hanging out with Russell Moore, and you can keep up with him at Russell Moore. A brain surgeon isn't needed to spell that. RussellMoore.com and on Twitter at Dr. Moore. Uh, just before the break, Russell asked you a question, and in, in just in case somebody's just joining us in Chapter 4, I picked up this question and 
I needed some help, and so I'm going to make the assumption there are a few others that might also. Quote, and while we conservative evangelicals often, and often rightly, criticize the mainline for accommodating to, quote, the culture, end quote, is it any less being conformed to the world when one accommodates to a subculture? And I'm hoping that you can expand on that a little bit on the difference be differences between culture and subculture. Well, you think about the temptation that's always there to sort of uh, accommodate uh, Christianity to whatever people around us uh, think. And so in a way that kind of takes the hard edges uh, off of uh, the biblical message. But it's sometimes there are people who think they're countercultural when they really just mean crazy. <laughs> and it's a it's a way of sometimes you can have a subculture of people uh, in a congregation or in a movement who agree with you, but as long as you're tailoring the message to them, and so you're you're speaking very very clearly about the sins they don't commit and very, very mutedly about the sins that they do, then you're just as much conformed to the pattern of this world as uh, as somebody who might be uh, in a church where they're really uncomfortable talking about the resurrection or, or talking about uh, the virgin birth or so forth. Oh, okay. Do you, uh, what do you define as our subculture now? Uh, within well, evangelical, is that is that by the movement itself is the subculture? Yeah, I think that I think there I think that's starting to splinter right now in several different oh, directions. Yeah. But but there's a a kind of way where we can start to divide ourselves off into here's us and here's the rest of the world in a way that if there's no engagement uh, at all ends up with a really, really angry and recalcitrant church. And that's one of the reasons why, you know, for all the problems that uh, people had with kind of canned evangelistic uh, messages and, mm. and training, at, at, at least with that, people were actually expected to engage with their neighbors uh, and, and not to give up on people who disagree with them. Uh, we're often not at that place right now. You are the editor of Christianity Today, and uh, that's a hard place to be. In fact, it was a hard place to be years ago because it was hard to define exactly who the constituency was. And yep. I suspect that today that's that's on steroids. I mean, who are, who's your constituency? Well, I think one of the things that's happening uh, right now is that yeah, those old some of those old coalitions are breaking up, but some new ones are are forming, and there are a lot of Christians in the United States and around the world who want a uh, a a biblically balanced, orthodox but not angry mm. uh, sort of presence, and we we try to tell those stories and speak to those people. That's. Uh... That's good, but that's hard sometimes too. Yeah. Oh, sure. Because you got to yeah, pay it, the bills, and you know, yeah. there's always that. You have a problem not altogether different than a pastor's, mm -hmm. uh, yeah. pastoring a congregation. Do you? Um, you said you were hopeful. It's been really interesting. We've interviewed a lot of people who have uh, voiced their criticism of the church in particular, even evangelical uh, part of the church. 
and I, I can't think of a single one who didn't say, I'm hopeful. Oz Guinness, Eric Metaxas, yeah. uh, Vody, a bunch, a bunch of them. So you're hopeful. You said that too, and that made me feel a little bit better. Why in the world are you hopeful? Well, I'm hopeful because of uh, Jesus's promise, and also I'm hopeful by seeing what's happening all around the world. And so it, Christianity is thriving right now in some really, really difficult places. And every time I start to get cynical, uh, God tends to to show me uh, the way that he's continuing to transform lives here and around the world. So it, it's hard for me to get uh, to get jaded and cynical right now when I see all of that. Hmm. As a cynical old preacher, I'm going to have you back. <laughs> you know, you're kind of medicine uh, from uh, from where I am. Do you do you, uh, do you engage with people who disagree with you in an ironic way uh, on political issues? Yeah, all the time. Yeah, and I, I think there. I think most people are ready to do that. Uh, but there's a there's a powerful minority that doesn't want to. That's true. I mean, we hear every day of families that have been divided. Yeah. That churches uh, where everybody are turning into serial killers, where friendships of years and years have been dropped because not Jesus, but Trump and uh, Biden. To be fair, (laughs) (laughs) guys, we're going to back out. And uh, the name of the book is Losing Our Religion, an altar call for evangelical America. And the man who wrote the book is the editor of the magazine that is the mouthpiece for evangelical America. Hey, thanks for listening to Steve Brown, etc. And if you're enjoying the show, chances are your friends and family would too, right? So help us spread the word by sharing a link, clicking subscribe on YouTube. And if you think about it, drop us a review on your favorite podcast platform, iTunes, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Spotify, we're pretty much everywhere. Hey, is there one called Podblaster? I mean, it feels like there should be, right? But like no E in Blaster, just Blaster, Blaster, Blaster. Anyhow, that's how the colons do it. When Christ promised we could live life to the full, he didn't just mean eventually in heaven, because Jesus didn't come to save us from our humanity, but to restore it. Life with a capital L. Find it now on keylife.org slash store. What if you could start your day by hanging out in God's Word and with some of the most significant theologians, authors, and pastors ever? That's the idea behind the one-year devotional, God With Us. Find it now on keylife.org slash store. Hey, thanks for spending time with us. By the way, have you subscribed to our weekly Key Life email? Maybe the best thing ever committed to ones and zeros. <laughs> While you're thinking about it, go to keylife.org slash subscribe to give it a try. Russell, before the break, you were 
kind of talking briefly about your conversation with like NPR and, and, and other folks that maybe come from a completely different kind of worldview and how you're ironic and, and civil and friendly and how we're ready for this. And, and I think that's so right. Cause whenever I experience that, it's like a cold drink of water. You're like, this still exists. This is great. Ooh, I yeah. love this. What is countering that is something that I heard you say in an interview talking about conflict entrepreneurs. I wonder if yeah. you would talk about that uh, a little bit. Well, I, I think we're at a time where meaning has been lost so much in life that people try to get a substitute for it. And a hit of adrenaline can feel like a substitute for life uh, for a little while. And so there are always going to be people who want that hit. And that's especially true in a social media age. But I mean, I'll tell you, I was teaching on a secular campus a year and a half ago where none of my students were Christians. I don't think any of them had even met a, a Christian, a born-again Christian until me. And I was shocked that all they wanted to talk about was theology. Wow. And asking all of these questions out of a place of curiosity. And then I'd go see my fellow Christians who were students there at night and they would say, oh, how do we deal with this hostile place? Everybody hates us. And I would have to say, I don't think that they hate you as much as you think they uh, do. They don't know who you are and your intimidation and refusal to engage with them at crouch position actually makes the situation worse. And so a lot of that Conflict entrepreneurship is really a lack of confidence. If you, if you don't have confidence in what you believe in your own gospel, then you're going to get frantic and, and start screaming. You know, I believe, and there have been a lot of bad gifts from it, but postmodernity has one good gift, is that there really is an, an even playing field. They, those students uh, were willing to listen to you, but they would have been willing to listen to anybody else, too. And so if you can be authentic and take your tie off, um, I used to tell students, go downtown, find the guys with the purple hair and the people that dressed funny and, and take your tie off and sit down and listen and then tell your story. You're going to be really surprised. Well, and yeah. uh, Russell, you kind of continuing on that line. I mean, you mentioned uh, people are crazy and you... <laughs> In the book, you say crazy wins. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, you not only with you know individuals that might be higher profile that are trying to generate anger and so forth, and uh, but even individuals with their uh, with their own social media. And it's not so much that they are uh, telling people what to think, but rather capturing the potential for an anger source of anger or whatever. Mm. How do you, how do you, um, get past that? Are there places that you particularly tell people to engage? I mean, it's almost like you want to say, turn off your social media. Well, what I usually say to people is, uh, some people do need to turn off their social media. It, you kind of have to know where your vulnerability is. So, I mean, we need people doing evangelism in the bars and the nightclubs, but we don't need our recovering alcoholics doing that. And so you have to kind of know if you're given over to quarrelsomeness. And if you are, well, it's, it's better not to even be on those platforms. Uh, but if you are to actually engage in a way that represents Christ. And if you can't do that, yeah, uh, get, get off of it. Or if it starts messing with your mind. Mm. And, you know, when you say crazy wins, it wins short term. But long term, it's exhausting 
and and maintaining that kind of theatrical anger, it just leaves you burned over. And I think there are there are a lot of people who are kind of exhausted by that and ready to find something else. Russell, I'm back in the integrity chapter again. <laughs> um, and I, I had one more quote that I, I really did want to ask you about um, where you said, as the, pro- as the prophet Ezekiel was told to dramatically enact carrying exile's baggage as a way of showing Israel their coming judgment, maybe what the church is most called to do in this moment is not first to preach repentance, but to embody what repentance looks like so that a culture seeking forgiveness will know what the words even mean. Um, I don't think that we as believers think in terms of non-believers as people who are seeking forgiveness because we're so wrapped up in in trying to get them to see, to see the need for again for repentance that we don't see that other, that other part of it. So I that just really jumped right out at me um, that a cult that a culture seeking forgiveness will know what the words even mean. So we embody the repentance. That's that's hard. I mean, that's just the hard thing to do. Is that kind of yeah. like confessing your sins? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, let me tell you how. Let me tell you how bad I am. No, that that's not likely to happen. <laughs> no, you know? but saying. No, I know. I know that cause a response of being you too, and we don't do much of that. I don't think. I'm sorry. Yeah, especially at a time where everybody wants to divide uh, up into the bad people and the good people. Yeah. Uh, and the, the bad people are irredeemably bad, and the good people are uh, permanently good. A Christian view of reality is just completely different from that. And so if we don't model what it is to confess our sins and to forgive each other and to be forgiven, you look around at, at the world right now where there, there's almost no mechanism for mercy. There's no mechanism yeah. for having an on-ramp back. And I think I think we have a different way and we ought to live it. That's our message. That's the only one we've got. And uh, that, you know, when Augustine said the church, well, the Augustine society said he never said it, but he said <laughs> stuff like it. The church was a whore, but was his mother. Uh, in that sense, if we'll tell people we know that and we are that too, and then begin the conversation. Listen, one other question before you leave. <clears throat> Can <laughs> if if I should, I'm not saying I will, but if I should vote for Trump, oh, can I? Will Jesus? Uh, will Jesus still love me? <laughs> <laughs> well, Jesus loves you no matter what. But there are some other considerations. I noticed you, you paused a long time before you answered. A great that deal part. of self control. Yeah. I saw right there. Let that me was amazing. What I'm about to say here. <laughs> Russell, it's been fun having you. Thank you so much for taking an hour of your time to be with us. Next time, when nobody else is around, you and I will sit down and discuss politics. (laughs) And you'll be able to ascertain from my response to you, and I ascertain from your response to me, whether we really believe this stuff (laughs) or not. Hey, Russell, again, thank you so much for being with us. Thanks for having me.
Hey, guys, we're going to come back for one short segment, and we're going to tell you who we're going to do it unto next week. And as always, you will be pleased and surprised and drawn to this program as you were today. So don't go anywhere. Hey, thanks for listening to Steve Brown, etc. And if you're enjoying the show, would you help us let others know about it? You can share a link, click subscribe on our YouTube channel, or drop us a review on your favorite podcast platform. Thanks much. What if you could start your day by hanging out in God's Word and with some of the most significant theologians, authors, and pastors ever? That's the idea behind the one-year devotional, God With Us. Find it now on keylife.org store. This is Pete Dowinson, and if you're a guy, I want to show you how to recover and reclaim an intimate, growing relationship with your Heavenly Father. Check out Like Father, Like Son, How Knowing God as Father Changes Men. Available now at keylife.org store. Believer, I want you to remember that where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. And you will run out of sin before God runs out of grace. Grace, the real good news of the gospel. Find it now on keylife.org store. Russell Moore, and I didn't think I would. I really didn't. <laughs> Back when Clinton was uh, president, I used to say in a number of venues where I would be speaking or teaching or preaching that uh, Bill Clinton really bothered me, and then the Republicans would clap, and I'd say, don't clap. You know why Bill Clinton bothers me? Because he gave so many Christians an opportunity to be self-righteous. And uh, that's dangerous because that cuts the legs off what we're supposed to be about. And uh, Russell and I would agree on almost all things except some political things on which there would be some serious disagreement. But I didn't sense self-righteousness on his part, and I thought maybe I would. And I hope he didn't sense that on me or on us as we did this program. It is, And what he said was profound. The public repentance is a good place to be. That doesn't mean you stand up and you tell the world your worst sins. But you live in a way that causes, uh, that your humility causes others to say, you surprised me. I didn't know it was you too who needed forgiveness, who needed love, who needed acceptance. Maybe I'll check out some of the things that you're talking about. So this was an interview um, I wasn't looking forward to, but has turned out to be a very pleasant experience. In fact, we voted, and we decided that other than being on PBS, that he was a pretty good guy. <laughs> <laughs> Who's going to be our guest next week? Next week, our friend Andrew Farley will be back oh, with yeah. us. And um, he has his new book is titled 101 Bible Questions. But here's the best part. And the surprising answers you may not hear in church. <laughs> <laughs> 
He's a fun guy to have around. He is. He is. And the surprising answers you may not hear in church. (laughs) Caught my attention. I wish I'd thought of that title. (laughs) I'd used it before he did. It would be, well, guys, we're going to go. And we could have a hymn sing because I still have a few more seconds and don't know what to do with it. Before the music kicks in, well, we could sing just as I am. We could. And yeah. have an altar call. But we don't for have time. Evangelicals. You only yeah, need verses 17, 18, and 19. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. <laughs> Guys, we're gone, but we're going to be back. Same time, same place next week. Hope you join us. And between now and then, don't do anything we wouldn't. And that gives you a wide, wide berth. We could take up a collection too. You know, for years now we could be the Methodists of the <laughs> buffet. He always you know, Steve people. always says that when he's speaking. You know, I'm almost done. I'm, I'm getting hungry. We gotta get out of here. So we beat the Baptist. <laughs>